My name's Anna Wallace, and uh, I'm a mother of two, and I work uh, part-time as a bookkeeper, and I'm a theology major at uh, Eastern Pentecostal Bible College. Our neighborhood's a quiet um, residential area. We have uh, mostly split levels, and it's been around for a while, and so we have a lot of mature trees, and uh, mostly middle-income families. There's children playing and riding their bikes back and forth to school. My children walk to school. It's it's a quiet residential area. And we have um, enjoyed living there now for about three years. My name's John Wallace. The day started out um, as many days I work at home in my office, and uh, it was a nice summer day. We had um, I had some software that I had to complete for the next day. My name is Deborah Gordon. Who I am is, first and foremost, uh, a mother with a whole bunch of children. My kids are uh, teenagers at this point. Where we live is, you know, suburban neighborhood. Home is about 40 years old. Not a lot of connection with the neighbors just because everybody's lives are so busy. Um, I had happened to be not feeling well and had called in sick that day. I was sitting in the morning on my front step with my little granddaughter having a cup of coffee. And I have a fair amount of bushes around the front. So I could hear noise in the background, but I wasn't paying attention to it. My son, whose bedroom is up higher, was getting the sounds off the street more clearly. And he came down and said, Mom, there's a lady screaming for help down the street. And he went out around the bushes and into the yard to see what he... And he says, Mom, there's a naked lady out here. And some guy's hauling her around. Come see, come see, kind of thing. And I went to see, and true enough, there's this naked lady trying to get away from this man. Well, it was um, early in the morning. I had taken my children to school, and then I returned home and did some gardening. And while I was uh, working at my composter, I heard a lot of noise. I heard dogs barking, and it sounded like there was something wrong. And then I heard a woman cry for help, and she said, somebody help me, please, in a very urgent uh, call for help. Immediately, I thought, it was an elderly neighbor that lived behind uh, the house that we live at. And I thought perhaps she had fallen or whatever. So I ran in the house and I called my husband. I said to him, someone has just called for help. We have to do something. And so John and I got in the car and we drove around to the street behind our house. I'm trying to process this. I'm processing this as mom and I'm saying, I'm seeing something out of the ordinary. I don't know what's happening and I'm judging it constantly against the security of my own family and I'm hesitating because I don't want to really believe what I'm seeing. Where my son is more right in there, he's saying call 911, call 911. So I ran in to call 911 and by the time I got back out to the street, my son had said the man had hauled her inside this house and had closed the door. When we arrived at the scene, there were a number of people there already. And uh, I remember getting out of my car and really not being aware of what was going on. And um, I asked one of them if they had heard a lady calling out for help. 
and they pointed at the house and said that there was a lady in there and that she had run out of the house and a man had dragged her back in and um, that she was uh, naked at the time. And um, once they told me that the woman was um, had been dragged back into the house um, and I realized the police had been called but, but weren't there yet, there was really only one thing to do and that was to go to the door and try and and do something. I didn't really think it through at all. I figured we'd just go up and we would talk and while the guy was at the door he'd be busy and you know that would buy us three or four minutes and the police would come and that would be the, the thing dealt with. And he immediately turns and heads off towards the house. My son who is 19 was right behind him and I'm trying to call them back, you know, keep it a safe distance kind of thing. And he's determined to go. My daughter, who is 15, was also right behind him. And I thought, well, gee, if he's a big guy, if he's deciding he's going to follow this, let me at least try and keep the 15-year-old back. No dice. She's going down the road, too. I'm holding my little granddaughter, so I'm going, well, I've at least got to keep her back out of whatever's going to take place. I went over to towards the house, and it was funny, as I walked towards it, I had a sense in my mind that um, this could be dangerous. And uh, I said a quick prayer as I walked towards the door, and I remembered a verse of scripture that talks about how God surrounds us with his uh, protection. And so in my mind, I remember in a moment just sort of seeing this hedge of protection around me as I walked up towards the door. From the outside, there was no sign of anything, but John walked up to the door, I had a lot of, you know, <laughs> I was nervous about going up to the door in the first place. I remember walking up to the house and thinking, what are we doing? <laughs> we don't know what's behind there. But on the other hand, it was like two two voices in my head, you know, what are we doing? On the other hand, we can't walk away. I heard this woman cry for help, and it was clear as a bell. I'm standing in my garden, you know, a block away, and it was as if she was, you know, just behind the tree. So I had, I felt that need to respond, to, to help. And then that's how I've been taught. I've been raised as a Christian and our, our faith is very strong and we believe we have to reach out to others, we have to show them. And so that's how I try to live my life. And uh, I couldn't not respond. And um, I went up and knocked on the door and Ralph came to the door. I, I don't know them, I just know his name now. Um, looked through the curtain and decided to open it. He opened the door slightly, just maybe about five inches, and uh, and told us that everything's all right and, you know, everything's fine. He was well-dressed. In fact, I, I noticed that immediately. He was well-dressed, clean. He, his face was flushed, but other than that, he seemed in control of himself. But when he opened the door, Jillian Hadley tried to run out of the door. She was naked, and she was holding her child in, in her arms in front of her. She was frantic, and you could see the desperation in her face. She was still calling out for help, you know, help me, help me get out of here. And, and she was desperate, and she was completely... Um, just overcome with, with panic. And um, when she ran out of the house, he grabbed her and was trying to pull her back in. And, uh, and he was, you know, telling us that, uh, you know, she's, 
psychotic. She cannot leave the house. He was not angry. He was just determined. Or at least that's how it appeared to us. In that instant, you know, my adrenaline started pumping and my, uh, well, I became very focused and could only really see his face. Um, if I had seen Jillian after the event, I wouldn't know what she looked like. I, I never did see her face. Uh, all of my attention was really trying to get him to look at me and talk for a minute. I was inches away from him, yelling at him that he needed to get her dressed and, and let go of her. But he was very fixated. No matter what I tried to do, he wouldn't look me in the eye. And all that he did was repeat again and again that she's psychotic and, and can't leave the house. You know, when you, when you look at a film and you see a person who's crazy and shooting people, you know, they'll shoot the gun off at anybody. Their eyes roll around in their head. They're very animated. And this person instead was um, focused. And he had her by the arm and he was not going to release her. He'd already made his mind up that today he was going to kill her. And we weren't going to stop him. So at that point, a young man came by, and he began to, to pull on her to, to try and wrestle to get her out of the house. And um, we both ended up pulling, trying to pull her free. During this sort of back and forth, Jillian, with the baby in her arms, bursts out past the man and sort of falls down onto the sidewalk in her effort to get past him. The gentleman's wife grabs for the child to try and at least get the child to safety. At this point, I hadn't seen a gun. I didn't know any of that. I just saw that there were two adults who were fighting, and this child is getting trampled. And I just said, here, let me take this child. Let me take the baby, and let's talk about this. Let's figure this out. You know, I wasn't trying to be a hero or rescue the child from a gun or any of that because I didn't, hadn't seen anything yet. I just saw that a child was in trouble because two adults were fighting. So I took the child and I, you know, just held on to the child and he just clung to me. I mean, obviously he saw that there was something horrible happening, but he wasn't crying. He was just upset and he, he just clung to me. When the man got his arm around her and started hauling her back in, the gentleman and my son each grabbed an arm and tried to haul her in the other direction to maintain, you know, at least not let him get her back inside. They were trying to talk with him to get him to let her go at the same time as they're tugging. Uh, my son commented after that he must have been very strong because he basically just had one arm and it took them a while to be gaining any sort of leverage. Jillian was saying, don't let me go, don't let me go, he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me. Uh, my son, the things, as he had told me at the time, going through his head, well, what should I do? Should I haul off and deck him one? You know, does that escalate it? Will I succeed? You know, will it, you know, make it worse, better? Can I, you know, these kind of things. And as he was thinking maybe he should deck the guy, Jillian said, He's got a gun. And they had been gaining at this point in getting her a bit away 
And I think he felt he was losing the struggle, and he pulled the gun. And that was a great shock to me. I couldn't, couldn't believe that he had a gun there. You just don't expect to find a gun in a peaceful neighborhood out in suburbia. It just doesn't, it's, it's, uh, this is Canada, and we don't have weapons like that here. And the automatic reaction, the shock reaction, was they let go and, and backed away. They both have children, the gentleman and my son, who was 19. It was his child I was holding. When I saw the gun, I realized the dynamic of the situation was changing, you know. In my thinking at the moment, he, if he, he pulled the gun in order to try and take control of the situation, and if he didn't get it, he would use it. And there were a number of people around, and, and it, you know, it seemed at that moment the right thing to do to just settle it down and not escalate the situation by fighting with him. I mean, I know in my own mind, if I tried to struggle with him, there's no way I would have wrestled that gun free from him, and he could have easily pulled the trigger and shot anybody. Right at the end, it was like she knew that, you know, that she didn't have a hope because she just kind of hung her head at, right at the, at the end, before he pulled her right in, her whole body just kind of um, humped over and she let out this groan that, you know, was just a desperate. Sorry. I'm not a big crier. <laughs> She was so desperate and powerless, really. We uh, were trying to help her, but we were powerless, too. <clears throat> the minute he had pulled the gun and the men had backed off, uh, this man pulled her into the house and closed the door. It was a matter of seconds from the gun being pulled to my son coming across the street and the cop car driving by that we heard the shots. It was just that sequence of events that quickly. My son has felt very bad that he had let go, does not feel like a hero, has felt like he lost in not being able to right that situation. In the flowers that we had put at the house in the day that followed, there was a very big leaf in one of the bouquets he had put down. And on it he had written, please forgive me. I remember um, later that day really shuddering and crying, and I said, wow, Anna, we couldn't save her. And uh, I felt a lot of grief about that that day. John and I were both very upset, and we didn't really want to talk to a lot of people. Um, the, the police sent uh, counselors to speak with us, and we found that that was helpful. and, and uh, our church family was very supportive in their, uh, you know, prayers and, and just calls telling us, you know, that they were, you know, 
praying for us and that, you know, they appreciated what we tried to do. And But it was upsetting to to us. I know that John was very upset and and I was very upset too. Um, it felt very surreal, you know. You know, in the um, the days that followed, I, I remember speaking to some people afterwards and they said, well, you mustn't be sleeping at night and, you know, you must feel terrible about the decision that, that I made to back off when the gun came out. But, you know, I, I didn't pull that gun out to, to hurt Jillian. I went to the door to try and help and help a lady I didn't even know. You know, I thought I'd feel some responsibility for not being able to to save Jillian, but somehow I was able to say in that split second that was my decision. And that decision I have to respect. And there's no point going back and questioning it because, you know, I only had half a second to make that decision in, and that was the choice. I think I was in shock for, for a while because um, our son's class, every year they go to the um, Canada's Wonderland as a family class end-of-the-year party. So we always go, and, and I went, and I hadn't cried before this. This was a few days after the incident. And I was walking around Canada's Wonderland, and someone made a comment about how, uh, oh, the child was the only thing protecting Jillian. And when the child was removed, it was like her protection was taken away. And I don't know, I can't even remember who said that, but it just immediately triggered in me just, I was angry and I was upset and I just started bawling my eyes out in the middle of Canada's Wonderland. Because then I started to second guess, did I do the right thing? And uh, could we have done more? Could things have been different? And um, perhaps they could have been different, but they weren't, and they aren't, and they're both dead. Some people responded to what happened. You know, you could have jumped him. You know, why didn't you jump him? One of the people I know said that he knew judo or karate or something, and that if he was there, like, he would have just, you know, kicked that gun out of the guy's hand. And, you know, I have to laugh at this. If he was there and he tried to kick the gun out of the hand and he was successful, that would have been fabulous. He would have saved her. It would have been great. However, he wasn't there. You know, there was this unfit 40-year-old who doesn't know how to fight, who just went to the door because he cares about somebody. That, you know, most unlikely person. And I went to try and calm the situation down not to enter like John Wayne or like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and to fight him. And he was bigger than me, I, I, and I, I wouldn't know how to fight somebody if I, if I ended up faced with it. And I, I didn't try that day. <clears throat> there were many kind comments and many uh, uplifting, um, supportive comments from many people and, and from the majority of people. However, there were a few people who made uh, insensitive comments. Oh, if you had only used a judo move, you know, you could have got that gun out of the guy's hand. Can you believe that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so you just kind of, we learn to ignore comments like that because they're just not helpful. We did what we could and, and that was it. But unfortunately, the outcome was still very negative. However, there's a little boy today 
who was not in the room when his mother had her brains blown out. It's hard to talk about. You talk about it while it's immediate, and then for a large part, you don't want to remember it, and the silence comes in. For my son, I know it has affected him deeply. You can almost judge that by the amount he does not want to talk about it. So as a parent, you worry and you wonder at what point down the road, how does this work its way out? Where does it play itself out? In what kind of circumstances and with what results? I worry. If um, I had just kept working that day at my desk, and if Anna hadn't heard that, it would have been another story we read about in the news, and we would have said, wow, that was around the corner. But we would never have um, been hit by it, you know. It's sort of like, um, it's really strange how this feels, you know. If you're walking across the street and a truck hits you and knocks you flying, you're going to feel quite broken by it, and you're going to have to recover. You know, it was that disorienting of an event. But, you know, I don't have any broken bones to show for it. You know, it, it, it uh, the, just the stress of the whole thing was uh, enormous. I ended up um, just having like a dark cloud over me. I, it's very hard for me to describe it. And I remember some of my friends said to me, John, you look sick. You know, you've got to do something. And and I had some friends who really were friends to me, people that I did work with that um, gave me some grace during that time because I certainly wasn't able to perform like I, I normally try to. And, um, and I'm grateful to them. I think it took about six or seven months, and after that, um, I began to feel a lot better. I think the world seems a bit more jaded <laughs> to me at this point. Um, I guess my family was the family that I grew up in. It was a very loving family, and they argued, but there was never any physical violence. Or And so the world that I have lived in, not that it's a perfect world, but it's a world where, you know, you never hurt each other. It's okay to disagree, but it's not okay to, you know, to hurt. And uh, so having seen this and the extent and the end result of what happened it's just it's just mind-boggling there are a lot of sad hurting people out there my mother was physically and verbally abused all of my life until i left home i know what physical abuse is and i've kept my kids very far away f from that, um, I've told them, like, this is what I lived with as a child. But unless you know what it's like to lie in your bed and hear your mother being beaten in the next room, that's an experience that doesn't translate very well with words. With Jillian, it was the horror of this poor naked woman on the street and nobody able to help her. With my mother, 
It was constant, daily, verbal abuse, escalating into physical abuse. These were daily cycles of terror. Jillian's is just one more moment added on to the experiences that you've seen. I used to have nightmares for years after I left home, and I ran away at 15, 16. I did not go back for many, many years. And even now, I am constantly on my guard. And for all that, I can say he's my father, and I love him very, very much. So what is the nature of humanity? That these people can behave to us in these kind of ways? And yet we still care for them. How is that possible? When I think about Jillian, and when I think about the way she died and how horrible it was, that certainly can bring tears to my eyes because um, she knew she was going to die that day. She knew she was going to die that day. And it's a horrible way to go. She, she struggled so hard to get out of Ralph's grip. She was absolutely desperate to escape, and she was unable to. That's the hardest part to revisit. Although, my feeling is, if I could portray it vividly enough for everybody to experience it for a minute, I would do it, because it's very motivating. It sure makes me think, what can I do to prevent that happening again? What is most striking is that Jillian was on the street naked. Look at us as, as people, neighbors, families. You know, unless you're at a baseball game and somebody's streaking across the field, which is an extremely rare occurrence, you don't see somebody naked on the street. This woman had nothing on, and that, that image, it strips the whole situation down, that this woman could be caught in her bath and be terrified to the point that she does not care she's got anything on. She is running for her life. And that there's people on the street. You know, we warn our kids, you know, about kidnapping-type situations. And, you know, if you're caught on the street, make as much noise as you can, draw as much attention as you can to yourself before you get stuffed in a vehicle. You know, those kind of things get said. This woman was absolutely naked, out on the street, screaming for help. And nobody, nobody could save this woman. Can you even begin to imagine this woman's absolute terror? She makes it out on the street. 
screaming for help. And then she's hauled back in the house. And miracle of miracles, somebody comes to the door. And she's looking for an opportunity. She makes it outside the house again with people standing right there. But it's all so fast. It's all so quick. And, you know, the first concern is, let's get that baby to safety. And we grab for the baby, and then he gets his hands on her, starts hauling her back in. And she's got two men standing there, each pulling on an arm. And she's begging, don't let me go, don't let me go. He's going to kill me. And in the end, they have to let go. This is... um no way for somebody to spend the last moments of their life in terror. You know, having seen that, I would say to the, the public that, you know, when we, when we have the, you know, the suspicion that perhaps there is uh, some kind of abuse going on next door or with some family that we know, it's so easy to just walk away from it and ignore it say, well, you know, we don't want to interfere in their life. That's a private affair. You know, having seen the, the final moments of somebody who is a victim, I don't think I could ever do that again. I don't think I could ever not interfere. It's not even inter interfering, it's doing what's right. The police officers put forward my son's name and the gentleman's name to the Carnegie Foundation. Um, we never filled in the forms. Yeah, I think we ended up feeling like it would be taking advantage of something when you don't necessarily feel like a hero, which is the word that gets used. I think brave and courageous are more appropriate. I think people involved certainly don't feel like heroes when you can't come up with any better results. Why my son decided to follow the gentleman to the door and to see what he could do. Somebody was in trouble. He was concerned and wanted to help. And I think that's basic to most humanity. But whether we have the courage to follow through with it is another thing. And he had the courage to follow through with what he felt he needed to do in that situation. And I'm very proud of him for having that kind of courage, regardless of any kind of results, results that he couldn't control the outcome of. And my daughter, too, God bless her for, you know, what these kids they thought they could possibly do and yet, we're willing to walk right up there. And I could only let them go and pray they wouldn't get hurt. I had a moment after the event when I realized that uh, my, my wife and my kids could have been without a dad because of what I did. And um, I never had that thought before. But, you know, um, it was a, 
a moment of uh, sort of unique perspective on my life and how it's here today and could be gone tomorrow. And it's brought home, you know, things that I had read and thought about before, you know, when you're making plans and you think things like, well, when I'm dead and gone, you know, what do I want people to remember about me? You know, and so, you know, you decide what kind of things you might do with your life and how you might conduct yourself. And the, um, this event has made me think about that. When I ride around my neighborhood, I often think of the families that live in my neighborhood. And, you know, this is just one family that struggles with or had struggles with, uh, you know, issues and things that they had to deal with. And I often think, you know, how many others are out there struggling away and, you know, what kind of help do they need, could they need to uh, sort through things so that it wouldn't get to this point. But you feel, after going through this kind of experience, you feel at an absolute loss as to how to deal with something of this kind of magnitude. And I feel inadequate to speak to the specifics. Um, though I know what goes on, though I know people, um, women who have been through violent situations uh, with men, and the struggles they have had to maintain their independence and their safety. Um, but I am left feeling anger that we have not advanced any further in something that is so very basic. What I truly feel coming out of it all is just very, very sad. Sad and hurt. Sad because he didn't just destroy his life. He's destroyed Jillian's life, and his child now is going to grow up without a mother or father. And having to, to one day come to, come to grips with the, the whole idea that his father killed his mother. And I believe he will have a difficult time dealing with that. But part of me was proud that we were able to take the child out and and little Chase is alive, and he will get through this. I think it made me personally ashamed in terms of being a neighbor. Uh, my first reaction is to pull back, to hold back. Um, I don't want my kids hurt. I feel my kids need me. I don't want to put myself in a situation that is so obviously a dangerous situation. And that, in its own way, makes me feel ashamed. Uh, that's why I admire what my son and daughter did in going up there, because I think that they are demonstrating a truer spirit of of neighborly, not just neighborly, but caring concern for the people around you. We, we, we get so accustomed to a regular day-to-day -day life, you know, but like at any moment, you know, we can sort of be thrust into something that can have great consequences. And um, if I hadn't walked to the door, Chase might be dead today.
And um, in my own mind, I, I feel that looking back, that that was a moment that I was predestined to be there and do that job. And I kind of wonder, you know, how many moments we have like that where we can we can decide to do the right thing. Maybe it doesn't seem to have the same gravity of that moment, but and it will have, you know, long-term repercussions. And, you know, we just do the right thing. We put a sign up. Well, I wrote a sign, and the kids and I went and put it up. The outrage that you feel is always greater the closer it is to home and allows you a way to speak in ways that you don't usually get to about how you feel about these issues. The sign basically said, how many times and in how many ways does this sort of thing have to happen before we figure out a way uh, to protect the people who are least able to protect themselves. It brings it home once again of how close it is to you, that it's not over there somewhere. It's very, very close. And if it's not in your house, it can be in the house next door.